So if you'll please join me in this morning's verse of the day, we will find it printed in your bulletin. If you're worshiping with us online, the verse of the day will be on your screen. So let's say this together from 1 Timothy. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Holy God, may all that we do and say in this day be well and good in your sight. Amen. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here in this space today in the presence of God to bear witness to the death of an old acquaintance. I am saddened to say that this acquaintance of ours has outlived its welcome and has clung to life longer than it should have. Yet, here we are today, finally, burying and laying to rest our old acquaintance, the phrase, because we've always done it that way. <laughs> this phrase began its final journey into death as it was placed on life support on Friday, March 13th, 2020. And on behalf of the body of Christ, God finally made the decision to pull the plug. And now it is our job as a community of faith to come together for this funeral today to bid this phrase a fond farewell. The obituary of this phrase is as follows. No official record has been located as to when, because we've always done it that way, was born but it is widely known that it had lived a long, full life, spanning many centuries and ages. It spent its lifetime haunting the halls of churches worldwide, wreaking havoc at board meetings, session meetings, vision planning sessions, meetings, meetings of hiring committees, deacon meetings, trustee meetings, and denominational committee meetings, among others. Because we've always done it that way, has even made its presence known in our own hearts and minds and has made its way into our own speech with fellow church members. For centuries, church leaders the world over have made good use of because we've always done it that way's power, and many have yet to come to terms with its passing. There have been days, there have been rumors of sightings of because we've always done it that way's ghost in recent weeks, as its memory continues to rear its ugly head and blind church leaders to the fact of the matter. Family members of the deceased include, I don't like change. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. This will blow over. The internet is just a fad. That's how it's always been, and that will never work. In honor of, because we've always done it that way's passing, churches worldwide are being asked to hold memorial services so that its members can find closure and move forward. In lieu of flowers, it has been requested that monetary donations be made to your local congregation to support whatever ministry will be most vital to discipleship making, faith formation, and mission on behalf of the body of Christ. So I cheated this morning. I stole the ser sermon opening, and I actually
actually stole it from myself from a year ago. So if what you just heard sounds familiar, I apologize. It was a long week. However, in spite of its lighthearted nature, it is still a vital, viable message. Because the time has indeed come for us all. Pastors, church leaders, staff, congregation members, visitors, to acknowledge this unprecedented time we live in and to fully embrace the inevitability of this rapidly changing landscape and to respond in faith and trust. And to understand that the phrase, because we've always done it that way, is finally null and void and cannot hold sway and power over our lives in the ways in which we understand what it means to be disciples of Christ. And what better day than this, Reformation Sunday, to take some time to give God praise and thanks for his goodness and sovereignty in an era where nothing Nothing is as it once was. Nothing other than God. Phyllis Tickle was a modern-day theologian who recently passed in 2015, and she had a theory which she called the emerging church. And her theory's hypothesis states that approximately every 500 years, the church, or more accurately, the Judeo-Christian body, resets itself due to some major culture shift or event beginning all the way back with the Davidic dynasty in 1000 BC. 500 years later, in 500 BC, the Israelites are taken to captivity in Babylon and the second temple period begins. Next is the birth of Christ, ushering in the new millennia and the great transformation, moving from one era to the next. Approximately 500 years later, you have the Council of Chalcedon, where the church officially recognized Jesus Christ to be fully human and fully divine, causing an incredible shift in our theological understanding as to the nature of God. Additionally, this time also witnessed the fall of Rome and its implications, the known world of in the year 1051, we witnessed what church historians call the Great Schism. And this is where you see an East and West split in the church, thus creating the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox. Then, in 1517, the Reformation came to bear, as individuals like Martin Luther, John Knox, and John Calvin had deep concerns over the state of the church thus ushering, ushering in a new branch of Christianity called Protestantism. And the beginning of Protestantism is what we celebrate today on this Reformation Sunday. And now, here we are, just a little more than 500 years past the Reformation, and it cannot be denied that the Church is indeed in the process of resetting itself once again due to a major event in our culture, this time due to a worldwide pandemic. The church, as we know it, as we move into this post-quarantine era, will never be the same. And there is no way that we, the members of the body of Christ, can afford to use the phrase, because we've always done it that way, any longer. 
because there are churches who insisted on using that as their mantra back in March of 2020, and Christ's kingdom is now the lesser for it, because many of those churches no longer exist. We are very fortunate in this small corner of God's kingdom known as Rosedale Gardens, because in some measures we dared to make changes over the years prior. Changes in the way we view and use technology, changes in our staffing models, changes in our willingness to explore different avenues of worship, changes in how we understand mission and outreach. So when the pandemic made its way to our front porch, and we made the painful yet proper decision to close our doors, we were well positioned to not lose our identity as a worshiping, community-serving congregation. We had the technology we needed. We had the staff we needed. And quite frankly, we had the attitude we needed to face the requirement of change in a moment's notice. Yesterday, the leadership of this church, members of the elder and deacon boards, gathered in youth hall for a four-hour retreat. Together, along with the staff, we have been reading a book entitled The Post-Quarantine Church, Six Urgent Changes and Opportunities That Will Determine the Future of Your Congregation by Tom Rainer. And at the beginning of our time together, we took a moment to reflect on all the good that has happened through this faith community since the start of the pandemic. All the ways we learned how to adjust and rework our ministries, all the positives that have come from serving Jesus for the past year and a half in spite of its challenges. Then we got down to business and we agreed that all of our past hard work was not a reason to become complacent and that more challenges still lay ahead of us. As we committed ourselves as a leadership body to being open and flexible to responding to the unforeseen changes that will be coming our way at a more rapid rate than ever before. Yes, we are in a remarkable position as a church to pivot with the dramatic change of the day, and thank God for that. But Tom Rayner reminded us in his book that an increased rate of change will now be the order of the day for churches. Granted, change was already a norm before the pandemic, but the rate, at, but the rate was slower and more gradual. And history has proven time and time again that churches unwilling to change will die. And now that death is happening at an even greater pace. We are dealing with a post-Christian society where many naysayers will say the church is irrelevant and out of touch. And sometimes they have really good reasons for saying so. If Martin Luther were alive today, I wonder what would be the contents of his 95 theses that he would nail to the door of the church. What would be your criticisms of the church that you would nail to the door of the church? I know you've got some, because we all do. And they are probably all the things for which the naysayers and skeptics of the faith are saying as to why we aren't relevant to their lives. 
The church is out of touch with the culture. It's judgmental. It's hypocritical. It's exclusive. And you know what? All of these critiques of the church were not born in a vacuum. The church has given people good reason to think and say these things. That's why those of us who simply want to share the message of God's radical, inclusive, unconditional love need to work harder and talk louder because there are many voices to the contrary and many who would seek to shut us down. Joshua was one of the great leaders of the Israelites after Moses' passing. And he was the one who ultimately led the people into the promised land. But the promised land was also full of many other things and many other religions that would be vying for their time and attention of this new group of people. So Joshua gave a speech to his fellow countrymen as a word of warning and a word of encouragement. Now that they were in a new land and officially free from the bonds of Egypt, they had many choices, and one was whether or not they would continue to serve the one true God. He reminds them that God proved faithful to them, and they should either faithfully serve him in return or not, but either way, he wanted them to make a choice. But he makes his stance very clear as to his personal choice by saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He was reminding them that they were in a state of great change, moving from years of wandering in the desert to finally settling into a new routine and a new world, and a new world full of changes and choices. So here's the bad news and a little bit of a reality check. If you are waiting for the church, for life, for the world to get back to normal, it's not going to happen. And that's really hard, isn't it? And if you are struggling with that thought, please know that you are not alone. But here's the good news. God and his wisdom and faithfulness have never changed. And we have the power of prayer and God's word to help us through these difficult uncertain, unfamiliar times as we settle into this new land. And the leadership of this church, the pastors, staff, elders, and deacons all know this to be true. We all have committed to relying on God to see us through. We all, like Joshua, have made the choice and are declaring that as for us, we will serve the Lord and pray you will make that choice to serve right alongside us. Pastor Anley Stanley has said that environments void of change are eventually void of life. And my friends, I hope you have all sensed the vibrancy of life that has been pouring out of this community the past year and a half as we have remained faithful to Jesus and have celebrated his faithfulness to us. And all because we were able, and more importantly, willing to change. And why can we do all of this? Because God is still God. This era we find ourselves in isn't a surprise to him. 
He is in the business of restoration and he is in the business of resetting and reforming his church. But at the heart of it all, no pandemic has changed him. Nothing has stopped Christ from being able to heal and comfort. The Holy Spirit continues to inspire. And right now, as a body, God needs us more than ever to be laser focused on the needs surrounding us. He needs us to be his hands and feet to those in our midst who are hungry, those who are lonely, hurting, and grieving. He needs us to combat justice in any form. He needs us to be peacemakers. He needs us to be his church. He needs us to be all in. Reformed and always reforming is the motto of the Presbyterian Church USA. It is a lens through which we can examine our faith. It's a way for us to acknowledge that we were once a people who saw the need for change, and now we are a people who see the need for continual change, yet keeping laser focus on our purpose as a church. Ultimately, celebrating change is what is exactly what Reformation Sunday is all about. We celebrate the church's boldness to dare to do things differently. We dare to go against the grain of what the culture and society would have us say and do. Reformation Sunday is a reminder that we need to put to rest once and for all the phrase, because we've always done it that way as we celebrate those who have gone before us and have done exactly that. So rest in peace, because we've always done it that way. This community of faith has nailed your coffin shut. Amen. Um,